Today's episode of Your Stories is sponsored by Overcast, a better podcast app than whatever you're using right now, unless you're using Overcast. Get Overcast for free on the App Store. Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hey everybody, I'm Eric Arno, and this is the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories podcast. Like I mentioned last week, we'll be looking back into the archives for a handful of episodes starting today, and I wanted to give you some context to what you're about to hear. So, pretty much exactly a year ago, I took Your Stories on a gigantic tour of the Western United States for the first and so far only time. Uh, that was one of the most fun experiences of my life, and it's been on my mind a lot lately. Uh, but those tour episodes are pretty recent, and we even published a tour retrospective at the end of last year, so it's pretty new in the feed, you can find it pretty easily. Uh, so what I thought it would be cool to do would be uh, go back in time to the first road shows we ever did and kind of represent those. So those shows began back in early 2015, at the start of the fourth year of the show's existence. Uh, what's weird is at that time, especially for this first batch you're about to hear, it didn't really strike me that these were touring shows, which is especially weird because I always wanted to tour, um, but that's probably because I traveled quite a bit with the nerds before, um, but just never for your stories. But then in late January and February of 2015, all these opportunities started presenting themselves, and for the first time ever we got to go out of our comfort zone and collect some awesome stories on the road. So these first two episodes in the memory tour, I think I'll call it, come from the Midwinter Gaming Convention in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where we were invited to record as a guest podcast on Friday night, January 16th. So Dwight, Claire, and I trekked up there after work on Friday, and uh, we had a banger show that mostly consisted of other podcast guests of the con. So here's a producer tip for you. If you don't know who to invite to your show, reach out to people who are doing the exact same thing you are. That tends to work. This particular episode features a couple other uh, nerdy podcasters and improvisers whose shows are still going strong, and you'll hear me talk about them in their introductions. Uh, there's also a story from myself that people really seem to like, and a handful of songs inspired by the theme Role Models, that's R-O-L-L, because, well, we were at a gaming convention, you can make the leap. 
Now granted, a trip to Milwaukee wasn't quite as ambitious as the one I went on a year ago, but this was a really fun time that proved your stories could work outside Chicago, so I wanted to show it some love. Um, speaking of shows outside Chicago, I have at least one road show coming up in the next few months, so if you're around St. Louis or Southern Illinois, you should probably drop us a line and get some details, uh, but I've said enough. For now, Milwaukee.
see anything. Why you want to introduce this song? This was this is your choice. Oh, so yeah, we were doing role models, right? <laughs> yeah. So and <laughs> you'll figure it out. <laughs> um, this is know. Dwight's role model. Dwight has never told a story it. on this podcast, by the way. In four years, yeah. we've never gotten him to actually tell a story. He just sings. Imagine that. I have no stories. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Yeah. It's called a melodica. Ooh, thanks. We were calling it a mouth piano. <laughs> <laughs> I think what that's, that means. Yeah. That's it, yeah. It, it kind of looks like a breathalyzer. Like. <laughs> what? It, wor- it works as a breathalyzer, too. You can tell by how much he screws up. <laughs> nice. All right. So, uh, this is a song from a oh, movie. Yeah, I like Jack Black. Okay, that's nice. Fucking time ago in a town called Kickapoo There lived a humble family, religious through and through But yeah, there was a black sheep, and he knew just what to do His name was Young J.B., and he refused to step in line A vision he could see him fucking rocking all the time He wrote a tasty jam, and all the planets did lie Oh, the dragon's balls were blazing as I stepped into his cave. Then I sliced his fucking tackles with my long and shiny blade. Twas I who fucked the dragon, fuck lies and fuck you. And if you try to fuck with me, then I shall fuck you too. Gotta get it all in the party zone. I gotta shoot it all in the party zone. Gotta lick the toad in the party zone. You got suck a chord in the party zone. Ow! <laughs> you disobeyed my orders, son. Why were you ever born? Your brother's tongue sounds better than you. Jesus loves him more. This music that you play for us comes from the depths of hell. Rock and roll, the devil's work. He wants you to rebel. You'll become a mindless puppet. Beelzebub. Sacred, don't you must unlock. You speak no 
five is clutches. It's a pleasant neighborhood. On a journey, you must go to find the land of all this wood. In the city of fallen angels, where the ocean meets the sand, you will form a strong alliance and the world's most awesome sitting in an auto shop this morning. That was fun. And uh, apparently I didn't stretch them out enough. Sorry for the tuning slip there. Yeah. I'm sure everyone noticed. Come on. Yeah. Uh, so unprofessional. All right. That's the end of the songs for now. <laughs> Dope. Okay. <Yeah>. So uh, thank you all for that. Yeah. We always like to start with some music. But tonight is about stories. It's about your stories. We tend to start with a member of the Nerdalogs. Uh, tonight I'm going to tell a story, which it's, it's been a little while. I'm, I was, uh, <laughs> listen, Steve will, Steve, Steve will be up here. You guys, Steve, okay, Steve's, Steve's cool, but he's like not, come on, he's not that cool. Uh, no, Steve is great. Um, yeah, I, I was really stoked about the theme because I, I feel like I have a cool story about kind of gaming models in my life and I've never really gotten to, uh, to share it. So here we go. So here are three facts you need to know about me before uh, I get into the meat of the story. Uh, fact one, I used to own a comic book store, okay? All right. Fact two, uh, when it closed, it destroyed me financially. <laughs> Woo, yeah. Uh, fact three, somehow, magically, I still found the money to take a vacation with some friends every year, despite the fact that I was basically living less than paycheck to paycheck. Uh, so this vacation is important. Uh, in 2013 especially, so uh, me and Dwight, and uh, where did Dwight go? Back there. A couple of my buddies, John and Troy, we went to Seattle and Portland, uh, which was really awesome. I love, thank you, I love both those cities. Uh, it was a really good choice, uh, especially love Seattle, but Portland is where this story takes place. Um, so it was like our second day in Portland, and my buddy John, who had been there before, was like, you know, Let's let's go out of town a little bit. I think uh, there's like a lot of cool nature stuff around Portland. We should go to this place called Multnomah Falls, which I don't know if any of you guys have been. It's like this giant waterfall off of I think like I-85, the Columbia River Gorge. It's super awesome. It's like a mile long trail. You can climb to the top and like you overlook the highway and the falls and. Man, it was great. And uh, I'm super out of shape, so it took a long time to get to the top. But <laughs> it was... Dwight, you feel me. It was super worth it. Uh, I mean, we got there at the same time. 
uh, it was really worth it. it. It felt great. I felt exhilarated. I'm like, yeah, I can do anything. But mostly what I want to do is climb down and go eat a lot of food and forget how much this hurt. So uh, that's that's what we did. And um, so we were sitting around talking about, oh, what should we do? Uh, what should we do tonight? Because we already kind of used up our physical exertion for the day. Let's do something chill. So uh, Dwight and Troy had been playing uh, Magic the Gathering on and off during this trip which I'm sure is a game a lot of you guys are familiar with. Um, but I know, right? It's this little indie game. You've probably never heard of it. Um, and this is a game that I used to play as well, but I hadn't picked it up since, like, freshman year of college, so, like, ten years, let's say. And uh, But I was like, yeah, like, these guys have decks. Why don't John and I, why don't we go to, like, Target or some shit? I know, that's terrible. We didn't go to our uh, LGS. That's really awful. We went to Target to buy Magic decks, and, like, let's just go to some microbrew in Portland and play Magic. And we did, and it was, like, super fun. I bought this, like, shitty blue-white deck that had, like, all garbage cards in it, but it was still a ton of fun, and I was like, man, this is really cool. Like, we should play more when we get back to Chicago. And as Claire can happily attest, we played, and Steve, we played a lot when we got back to Chicago. Like, a lot. Like, uh, Chris Geiger, who's in the Nerdalogs and not here, Chris and I formed a, a magic league that is similar to fantasy football and also the show The League and how we treat each other. Um... <laughs> Which has been really satisfying. Uh, it kind of took over our social lives. Um, so a store that I bought a lot of magic cards from was Card Kingdom in Seattle, just because they were like they had top yeah, they had top SEO. SEO is important, guys. So when I Google cool place to buy magic cards or whatever, fucking Card Kingdom. Great. Uh, one day I had some cards I wanted to sell, so I Googled uh Light Card Kingdom but in Chicago, and this place came up called Pastimes. And I'm like, oh, that sounds okay. I'll go there. I drove out there, uh, sold a card or some cards to them, bought some cards, whatever. Uh, and they became kind of my go-to place when I didn't want to wait for shipping, which actually was often because waiting for shipping sucks when you can just go get something. So I started to go to Pastimes a lot. And one day I was browsing their website inventory, and there was a job posting, and it said, we need a new manager for our comic book section. And I'm like, well, fuck. If I can't get this job... Why am I alive? Like, there, there can't be, there can't be 30 people in the world who have the qualifications and the hunger that I do to have this job. And it turns out that was correct because I interviewed and pretty speedily got the job. And when I, when I talked to my boss, he was like, yeah, one person's qualifications were that they had seen every episode of Buffy, which I guess is like fair. That's a reasonable qualification. Whatever. Uh, I got the job. So, uh, Maybe not the greatest ending to the story, but I'm going to say something that's going to blow your fucking mind, because it blew my mind when I read this. So, as part of my magic obsession, I got this book, Johnny Magic and the Card Shark Kids, How a Gang of Geeks Beat the Odds and Stormed Las Vegas. It's about how magic players became poker players who won a lot of money, whatever, whatever. It's a very cool book, but it also delves into the creation of magic, and something very uh, early on in the book really, really shocked me when I read it, and I'm going to read this paragraph for you. So the scene is, Richard Garfield, who's the creator of the game, is out in uh, Oregon. He's about to pitch to Wizards of the Coast the next day, uh, and he doesn't exactly know what the game is that he's going to pitch. So he goes to Multnomah Falls. And this this book says here, Dizzy in thought, he suddenly found himself standing at the thunderous foot of Multnomah Falls. A roaring downpour crashed from six stories high into a froth of white foam. It was the middle of summer, but the cold wind blew in full force. That's when the answer hit Garfield. He could see it bursting like a dam, a torrent of playing cards cascading down the mountain, flooding around him. Pardon the prose, I didn't write this. Uh, that's it, he realized. 
the players have different cards. The base of Multnomah Falls is where Magic the Gathering was invented, for all intents and purposes. That's the very place I was the night I started playing. The night that basically changed my life, because it led to me getting a job that let me live like an adult person. Uh... I don't believe in, like, fate or destiny or whatever, but that's some, like, shamanistic bullshit. Like, how the hell did that happen? It's like I channeled the spirit of Richard Garfield, and he, like, improved my life. So, like, man, games do matter. Like, that's fucking cool. And even though, like, my interest in magic has waned slightly because when you're around it every day, like, it's just not necessarily as fun anymore. I still love it, and I will never, ever forget how fucking cool I think that is. So that's my story, guys. If that read like a commercial for pastimes, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. So, uh, we have a string of really great guests tonight. A lot of them are going to be performing in this room later this weekend, uh, including our first fella, who is from No Dice Improvised D&D. This is James Boland. Uh, thanks, everybody, for coming out to see Just Me. James. <clears throat> Uh, that's a joke from uh, an, another guy that I saw named Sammy, who's a Milwaukee comedian. Uh, doesn't matter. But uh, so I'm very happy to be here. Uh, thanks for everybody for coming uh, to to support gaming and, and nerd nerddom. Uh, I came to nerddom very late in my life. Uh, I was always I really loved storytelling. I loved a lot of different kinds of things. But uh, yeah, I I, uh, I had a lot of different tastes, but. I didn't come to gaming until maybe two, two, three years ago. Um, I, I've always been nerdy about different things um, and enjoyed uh, getting really into certain things. First, first was statistics about baseball. Uh, I was very nerdy about statistics about baseball uh, and uh, remembering facts. Um, I'm the youngest of four kids, and uh, you, I, I needed something to like get in. Edgewise in a conversation, so uh, I remembered like any kind of. Then it just branched out to any kind of sports facts, you know, just remembering uh, like who won the 1968 World Series. Um, that I'll tell you afterwards offline. Um, uh, and so uh, the next time that'll be just like you, you and me conversation, you know, kind of thing. Uh, and uh, so that was that, but. Um, so yeah, so yeah, and then uh, yeah, theater and blah blah blah, and this and that, and and books. I really liked stories. Like the thing that I was most passionate about was storytelling, and and the idea of of creating stories and sharing stories and these kinds of things. So that's why uh, when Eric uh, asked me to do this, I was like, I, I mean, first of all, just to be doing this at the at the, the convention this weekend is like a kind of a small dream come true for me, even though uh, it being a, a, a dream like two years in the making, which, I mean, comparatively, uh, it doesn't seem like that great to being like a six-year-old dreaming about something as opposed to a 26-year-old. Uh, but uh, it doesn't matter because it's still a dream and you can't take that away from me. Uh, so, uh, so being here and doing this is really great. Uh, and so, yeah. Uh, so I started doing, I started uh, playing tabletop role playing games because my friend Dave Lane. And uh, he's not here tonight and uh, he's not a famous person, uh, but he is a really important person in my life. And when role models come uh, comes to mind, He's uh, an, an absolute like giant figure in my mind. Uh, I still have a weekly game that I play with him, and we've been playing for almost two years. 
Uh, and uh, he is a person who is very passionate about stories. Uh, and he's an improviser uh, like myself. And uh, we live down the hall from each other. And he said, I think you'd really like this this role-playing, you know, this Dungeons and & Dragons. And, and I didn't have, like, a negative, like, attitude towards it. Um, and so I just sort of went in into it. Uh, sort of like just thinking like oh it's a great way to s- tell stories with a friend with friends and that kind of stuff and um, his passion and um, and one might even say compulsion to like have the best situation and be- like the best room like all the things like he's always like he is he's always going to goodwill to find things to make the gaming experience like better for us uh, he, you know, he's finding this and that, and uh, you know, he, it's and it doesn't have to be like store bought, right? You know, it's like he's making things or like uh, like charcuterie. He'll like cut up like cheese and sausage and like crackers and shit to like make the gaming experience really great, you know. And um, that passion to like, and he's a, uh, I wouldn't say he's a good teacher of the game um, in terms of things like. Uh, but he's very passionate, and when you first start getting into it, he's like, he will spend hours with you talking and explaining it, and he's very patient. But once he says something to you once, that's it. And you have to remember it. And if you don't, he will fucking rail you on it. He will just <laughs> fucking drive you into the ground, like, okay, attacks of opportunity. Like, and you're like, yeah, 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 I, I, I think I can get through that. No, you can't. You, you get, you get attacked. <laughs> You fucking get attacked, you know, like casting defensively. No, you, no, you don't get that. You don't get that plus four. What do you, no, idiot. You know, but then like you see him like somebody who's new and he's like, okay, here's a D20. There's 20 sided dice. There's 20 sides on this dice. And you roll it and that's pretty much the game, right? And, and then he's like very kind and compassionate. Uh, but with me, he's like, what the fuck's wrong with you? <laughs> You should remember this shit, which is really great. Like, it, it made me uh, learn the rules. It made me want to know the rules. It made me want to become better at that because the side that I re- really like and really enjoy is the storytelling side of it. So the sort of chaotic, fun, creative side, he sort of brought me back down to earth, and he was always like, these are the rules. It has to be logical. It has to make sense, right? It's still a fucking world that is grounded in reality. Even if it is fantasy, it has to be grounded in reality. So, uh, long story short, uh, he has, uh, he has helped me, uh, become, uh, yeah, more comfortable in being, uh, okay with knowing rules, getting rules down, like memorizing them, uh, and then also then weaving that with story. And that would, that's what kind of brought me to No Dice, because I wanted to create a show that, uh, that had nothing, right? It had no dice, literally. That's, I mean, that's the name of it. There's no dice, right? So you roll a d20 in your head, and you tell me what the dice roll is, right? I'm the DM. Um, and it's a social experiment. I mean, it is, uh, you know, there's the people who are like, it's a 20 every time. So then a 20 becomes a 1. And if a 20 is a 1, then what does that mean in this world? And so, like, if you want to be a 20 all the time, you want to be the best all the time, well, then fuck, dude, there's a monster who's going to just tear your ass apart because a 20 means nothing, right? So, like, let's, so let's bring it down to reality. Let's ground it in reality, right? So, uh, 
so having that show was like a total social experiment. I wanted to figure out like like we didn't need a dice, we didn't need a rule book, we didn't need anything but just each other to tell a fun story and to like pass the time. And if you've lived in any place that's really cold, you need something <laughs> to pass the time. And beer helps, but storytelling is way way better. So that's why Dave Lane is my role playing role model. Also, no dice. Improvised Dungeons and Dragons will be here uh, tomorrow at eight thirty, and then two p.m. Sunday. You know, I was thinking how appropriate it was that like a storytelling podcast would be at a gaming convention. Like it, all, it is all about narrative. So, mm-hmm. thank you for making that point very salient. That's a good word, salient. All right, we have three guests here tonight from the Plot Points podcast, who will be recording here twelve thirty Sunday. Uh, Plot Points kind of actually follows very well from from that uh, speech. So what Plot Points does is they look at uh, role-playing games as literature and, and analyze them as such, which I think is really sweet. I was an English nerd. That's why I opened a comic book store in the first place. English major slash English nerd. It's all the same. Ben Riggs, guys. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm not Steve. We all are. So I'm Ben Riggs, and I am here to tell you about the six weeks in college when I thought Cthulhu was real. So, for I went to school in Massachusetts. Uh, for those of you who've never been to Massachusetts, people in Boston tend to react to friendliness with hostility. They become very suspicious. So uh, when I moved out there as a 19-year-old, I had a very hard time making friends. And I took that loneliness and I took it to the library. At the library, I, of course, went to the card catalog. And after I had done my work for my class, I typed Necronomicon into the uh, library search. (laughs) And an entry popped up. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. Then I looked and I saw it's in the specials collection. I had to make an appointment to go visit the book. (laughs) They gave me special gloves, a piece of paper, a single pencil, before ushering me into a room with locked crates containing tons of books and bringing out this thin gray volume filled with Arabic script. I, I pick it up, I look at it. Oh, it's all, it's all Arabic-y. I can't read. Oh, there's an English introduction. Hallelujah. And the English introduction laid out a story wherein the author, L. Sprague de Camp, says that he purchased this in Baghdad in 1976 and that the first three translators of this volume mysteriously died. The third was the only translator they ever found any sign of after he started translating it. They found his teeth on his ceiling. Um, so he... Being a Elsprog de Camp, being a strict atheistic materialist, is like, well, this is all totally bourgeois. Um, there's no chance that this is true. So, uh, you know, I'm going to publish this and just put it out there. Even though a friend from the State Department tells me that the uh, Iraqis are releasing this to the West as a form of academic terrorism. They figure that, uh, you know, various and sundry academics in American Ivy League colleges will try to translate it and meet the same horrendous faith that the Iraqi translators did. <laughs> And this blew my mind. This is the moment when I failed my intelligence role. And I was like, the, the Necronomicon predates Lovecraft. The, the Necronomicon is real. Cthulhu is real. Oh, my God. 
So I did the only thing I, th- I thought I could do. Like, it actually, it prompted an existential crisis as I'm like, well, if Cthulhu is real, what, is, what does that mean for me? So I joined the Kung Fu Club. <laughs> now, I, I break bones like it is my job. My hand looks like a creepy, no one will be able to see this, but a creepy crawly spider. This finger won't bend anymore. I crushed three vertebrae and a teeter-totter. A 120-pound girl fell on me and I broke two ribs. Oh. Me joining the Kung Fu Club is not the most effective way of stopping Cthulhu. Um, but I joined the Kung Fu Club, and, the, and these Kung Fu, geek, Kung Fu geeks were very forgiving of me coming and flopping around their practices and rehearsals uh, and sparring. I stopped going to the Kung Fu Club when a, uh, a gentleman, he, he, he was very advanced, and we're sparring, and he's letting me hit him, letting me hit him, letting me hit him. I'm like, this Kung Fu thing's pretty easy. Hit, 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 hit. And he just takes me and boom, throws me down, breaking a toe. <laughs> And that was the last time I went to Kung Fu Club. Now, this is uh, two years after I first got email. So after about six weeks of just kind of trembling in fear at night, thinking, oh, my gosh, God exists, and he hates me, and he's going to eat all of us one day, um, I finally go to the interwebs, and I, I type Cthulhu, Necronomicon, El Sprague de Camp in the primitive search engines of the day. Um, and I find a very handy Necronomicon fact that explains to me that this is a total hoax. <laughs> and that El Sprague de Camp, who is a biographer of H.P. Lovecraft, uh, purposely only printed 398 copies of this garbage Necronomicon so that it would end up in specials collections of libraries. <laughs> So then I joined the theater club and made some friends. Um, and that is uh, that's the story about me, I guess, failing a couple roles. And uh, that's my story. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. I, uh, I am shocked to learn that Cthulhu is not real. I have to go think about this quite a lot. Uh, coming up next, we have a guest from the Nerds Domain podcast. Guys, if uh, if you weren't here last hour, unfortunately, you missed their podcast recording here. But they are doing a podcast mixer tomorrow morning at 10 a.m., which is really sweet. Nerds Domain kind of covers all sorts of fun, nerdy topics. They had uh, Max Grodenschick from Star Trek Deep Space Nine on the show a while ago. He uh, plays uh, Nog, right? Rom. Rom. He plays Rom, which is... That's fucking cool. Deep Space Nine, easily the best Star Trek. We can we can fight about it later. Don't don't you gasp. Anyway, this is Shirley Ned's Wiki. Shirley, 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 Shirley. It kind of sounds like Steve, right? So I don't do very well with these things. Okay, there. Got it. So. Roles. Let's see. Three facts that you should know about me. I come from a Catholic family, which entails a lot of drinking. (laughs) And my father was in the military and thought he was a drill sergeant. There's. So imagine three children. Eleven, five, eleven seven, and five. Two girls and a boy. We terrorized my younger brother, 
and we like dress him up as a girl and things like that. <laughs> but my dad, being the wonderful loving father that he is, would get us up in the middle of the night and run us around to do PT and calisthenics. <laughs> and and the one that I remember the most is, tell me you're a worm, tell me you're a worm. So imagine yourself as an 11-year-old, and you're down on the floor doing push-ups, and you're laughing your butt off because he was hilarious. And you're like, tell me you're a worm. So that, like, I'm a worm, Dad, I'm a worm. <laughs> but... That led to, um, that led to, sorry, I'm a little nervous here. I'm better behind a mic. I'm not good in front of an audience. Close your eyes. <laughs> okay. But you have to face the mic. Yeah. And <laughs> Wait, hold on, hold on. Everybody's naked. No, that doesn't work. <laughs> no, I'm good. So, um, that started, that coming from that background and my dad, um, like pushing us to have that kind of comedic value in our family pushed us to think. And we always were in front of the TV. Um, I can't remember where my mom was, but, um, <laughs> but, um, she was usually in a Harlequin romance book. So that pushed us to use our imagination. And I just remember, like, all of the holidays going, and um, we would come up with all these plays, and we would, like, dress up, and John, my brother, would be the girl. And <laughs> and it just, like, I never got into theater in school, which I wish I would have, but um, that got me into being very comfortable talking to people and speaking to people. And... Um, I never was able to find that niche. And then um, I met Matt. Well, I started when the in the interwebs came on. I started looking for, um, uh, I don't even know how I got into it, but I got into this game where you role-played online, which was cool because nobody really saw you, and you didn't have to dress up or anything. And then um, as, as the interwebs advanced, I got and looked for more role-playing games and more opportunities. I found Indie by Night. And Indie by Night is an Indianapolis role-playing group. And um, lo and behold, did I find out I could go and act with people. <laughs> Real, live people. Are you kidding me? This is crazy. And then... I'm in love with Dracula, uh, but not only that, it was a vampire alert. I get to pretend to be a vampire. Are you crazy? <laughs> but um, that kind of led me to um, meeting Matt. I joined this uh, like six group, six player um, troupe, and um, I got to do my first vampire role, and it was really cool. I uh, got to beat some people up. I owned a bar. Um, what else have I done? Um, I became a nun. And um, <laughs> I know. How, did, how does a vampire become a nun? Um, but um, other than that, um, it led to, it led to um, me meeting Matt through a game and just amazing people and now we have from his wonderful brain nerds domain and um 
And so I guess, like, my role model would have been my sister and my dad. Thank God he made us do calisthenics when we were little. (laughs) Or I would have never met him. I think vampire is, like, the coolest thing that I just, like... I don't know. I I am so impressed by the people who do it, and I feel like I, I never could. Like, I just do not have the ability to do that. Uh, I know, like, the... Uh, one of the big, like, lecture buildings on my college campus, like, one Friday a month, they would turn it over to LARPers, and I always felt bad for, like, visiting academics who would just, like, accidentally wander in that building and stumble into this game of vampire and, like, not have any idea what to do. Uh, but I also think that is an awesome thing that could have happened. I wish I could have seen it. All right. We have two more stories. Uh, then we're going to take a short break. Uh, the producer of Plot Points is coming up next. This is Chris Katerba. I have very detailed notes for this show, guys. Thank you all for being here, being a part of this. I really appreciate it. Of course. Shut up, Mary. Fire. Well, hello, everybody. Hi, Chris. Uh, my name is Chris, and I am a Farscape fan. If anybody's ever heard of that TV show, um, that is my Star Trek. That is my Star Wars. Uh, I, I watched it when it first came on Sci-Fi and immediately was on board. And um, years later, they released them on DVD. I, w- I wasn't patient enough to buy them as they came out, so they waited until they came in collections of seasons when they finally realized that was a good idea. I got the first season and watched it and watched it and watched it. And uh, at the time, I was working third shift, so I had to stay up all night on Sunday so they could sleep all day Monday and go to work. And one Sunday, I decided, I discovered, it was imperative that I get season two. Couldn't do anything else. Wasn't going to do groceries or laundry or anything. I needed season two of Fire Escape. So I raced to Best Buy, run over to the TV aisle. Fire Escape, Fire Escape, ah, ah, season one. Season three, yay! No, season two. Can't watch season three without season two. I'm screwed. So I went and found uh, someone. She's like, there's one, according to our computers, there's one on the 76th Street, Best Buy. Like, awesome, bye. Get in my car, drive over to that one. Race across the store. Get to the DVDs. First game, first game. Yes, there it is. Season one. And season three. Three season threes. No season two. <laughs> I'm like, what, 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 what? Did everybody decide at once that they needed season two? But then I caught a glimpse of blue out of the corner of my eye. I'm like, ah, there it is. Shining light from heaven. There's season two of Farscape. So I grab it, hold it to my chest, race to the front of the store. <laughs> as close as I ever came to football. <laughs> and I only know that now because of friends who watch football. They're like, they, they described it when they tuck it in. And I'm like... I did that with Farscape once. Anyway, race up, got in line. And in front of me is a guy who, as I was thinking about this story, kind of looks like one of the older guys from Mad Men, right, with the suit and the, the graying hair and just real sharp lines. And he's talking to the, the cashier lady who looks like Juno. <laughs> Get without the bump. And... Uh, and they seemed very friendly, so I'm like, eh, maybe it's a relative. So I'm just sitting there going, I got first game, I'm ready to we know back. I'm like, there's Stargirl, there's all of us. Really excited, really excited. But I, after a couple of minutes, I come out of my daze and realize I'm not moving. He's still there. And I start paying attention because he's in my way of watching Farscape. <laughs> okay? 
And I'm listening, and I, I'm, I'm reading body language, and he's got this thing going on, and she's not got this thing going on. What the hell's going on here? It occurs to me very quickly that this guy has decided that she would make a great companion for him. The problem is, he's well over 50. She is, well, not anywhere near 50. She's <laughs> maybe 20. And I'm like, well, that's kind of creepy and gross. And he's in my way of fire escape. <laughs> So I'm growing increasingly impatient with the situation. And I'm reading, and she's, she's trying to get through it. She's trying to do her thing. And she's like, uh, um, was it, was, did, you, did you need anything else from the store? He's like, nope, I got everything I need right here. And I'm like, oh, brother. So she, uh, he's gonna, she's like, how are you paying with this, cash or credit? He's like, well, I could pay with both. But I think I'm going to use my credit card and use my cash to take you out for dinner. Oh. And I'm just, I'm getting more and more, ew, this is why I'm embarrassed to be a man sometimes. <laughs> so I'm standing there getting more frustrated. She's like, that's, yeah, yeah, I, I appreciate that, sir, but I, I really, I got it, da-da-da. So he's like, here's my credit card. Well, for identification purposes, at the time anyway, she had to ask for his phone number. And he goes, well, I can give you those digits. Like, oh, come on already. You're Farscape right here. You're in the way of me watching this right now, getting more and more angry. And so he uh, gives her the number. And uh, I don't remember exactly what he says next, but it was the straw on my back. And I did. I broke a cardinal rule. I don't normally get involved with other nonsense unless it's a physical thing. But if it's just back and forth, I just keep my nose out of it because I don't want anyone interrupting me when I'm making an ass out of myself. <laughs> So I look at my fire escape and go, hang on. Hang on, Aaron. I'm on my way. <laughs> I step forward. And I'm going, pardon me, sir. I'm sorry to interrupt. But if you'll notice out front, this is 76th Street. And up and down 76th Street are a variety of bars and restaurants where you might find someone from your decade that would be interested in spending time with you. This lady here is trying to do her job and is not interested in you as a life partner. Based on body language alone, you're fairly repellent. So if you could finish up your transaction, she would be grateful, I would be grateful, and you can go and find the love of your life elsewhere. And he was like, well, I never. I'm like, well, no, apparently you do. You're doing it right now. Finish. So he's like, scribble his name on there, and he storms off. And uh, I'm like, I am so sorry for interrupting that nonsense, and, and but I just couldn't listen to him go on. She's like, I really appreciate that. And I'm like, that's good. Money. Farscape. <laughs> Shut up. I got Farscape to watch. So paid it. I'm like, have a good day. Hope no more of those come up, and uh, we'll see you later. So this is not so much a role model story as an anti-role model story. <laughs> So that is all I have to contribute. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That was awesome. I want I want us all to ponder the question. When you had Farscape tucked, was that the closest you've come to football? Or is uh, tucking a football the closest those football players come to knowing how bad you wanted Farscape? <laughs> Think about That's, it. No, because they don't care. <laughs> it was the closest.
Fair. All right. All right. So I couldn't resist doing this song because the role models pun. Also, guys, I hate to plug our shit because you're listening to us all night, but we just did a holiday uh, video that involved uh, us not celebrating Christmas but Kissmas, and I made Dwight be Peter Chris in the, in the makeup, and he was unhappy, and I felt the best way to make it up to him was to make him sing this song that was also in the movie Role Models. Sorry. Waiting for a prop. Oh. <laughs> Excellent. All right, Catman, let's do this. <laughs> Beth, I hear you calling, but I can't come home right now. Me and the boys are playing. Just can't find the sound Just a few more hours And I'll be right home to you I think I hear them calling Oh Beth, what can I do? Beth, what can I do? Say you feel so empty That our house just ain't a home I'm always somewhere else You're always there alone Just a few more hours And I'll be right home to you I think I hear them calling Oh Beth, what can I do? Beth, what can I do? For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.